Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Patrick and Steven again, back with a very special guest here on Men's Health Unscripted. We have founder of the Exalted Warrior Foundation, Annie Okerlin. And she's here to talk about all things men's health, yoga, um, PTS, and breaking stigmas. And if you guys have been watching our show, you know that we're all about breaking stigmas. So Annie, we're super happy to have you. And we just, we can't wait to hear what you have to say for this interview. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. So I'll kick it off um, by kind of, if, if you watch the show, you know that we had Nikki Namaste on and he promoted the Exalted Warrior Foundation quite a bit. And I think that's one of the reasons we connected and we knew that you had a lot of really cool stuff to say. So what exactly does the Exalted Warrior Foundation do? What services they can provide? And um, how would someone be able to reach out to your organization? Awesome. Uh, Exalted Warrior is a nonprofit organization based here in Tampa, Florida. And we provide adaptive yoga and meditation techniques for specifically service members, veterans, and their families but really for anyone. Um, the wonderful ability with technology these days has allowed us to support people anywhere they are. And so uh, we have over 100 IREST Yoga Nidra meditations. I'm a certified IREST teacher. And it's a very, very specific form of meditation that is trauma sensitive by nature. Um, and then we also have some videos of adaptive yoga, so a chair yoga class, that ultimately gets you down onto the floor. If you don't get on the floor, then you don't have to. Um, and lots of other little um, a YouTube channel that people can watch from the, from the website so that no matter what your experience with yoga, whether you're a beginner or someone who's maybe more advanced and you don't feel like you know hurling yourself around your yoga mat or you're working with an injury or you're an amputee or a traumatic brain injury sufferer, um, your uh, service member or not service member working with PTS um, or any type of stress condition. We know from yoga and meditation how valuable they are. And so it's really been about supporting anyone where they are. Um, we also teach in the VA settings in several different states. Um, we have teachers around the country. Um, I'm lucky enough to spend some time in the James A. Haley VA here in North Florida, or North Tampa, excuse me, up by USF. And that's the third largest polytrauma VA hospital that we have in the country. So there's a really, really unique population of service members and veterans there that we get to support with our practices. That's awesome. That's, that's very cool. Uh, you mentioned the, the term trauma sensitive. Mm -hmm. And just for you know the viewers that may not be familiar with yoga, what do you mean by trauma sensitive? That's a great question um, because I don't know what anyone's experience is before they walk in the yoga room. So for example, if I'm leading a meditation and I say something along the lines of, imagine you're laying on the beach and waves are gently caressing you. And in your life, you've had the loss of someone drowning at the beach or water is you're fearful of water or you know i never know and that's one of the interesting things about yoga is that ultimately it's a tool for self-regulation and i don't know what someone's ability of self-regulation is when they walk in the room 
um, a teacher used to say to me years and years and years ago, he said, I wish that every yoga studio door had, you know, like an x-ray machine. And I got a little readout and be like, oh, you're not doing headstand today because you have a cervical spine issue or your back is jacked. You shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z or you're bone on bone in your spine. So you're not going to twist until we make some space there. And I've always thought, wouldn't it be great to have like a biofeedback kind of thing in with the x-ray machine to say, this person don't say X, Y, and Z because they've had this certain type of trauma or this person's an ER doc and they're stressed out of their gourds all the time. We never know. And, and that's kind of the human nature dance that we all go through is learning, what can I manage? What do I need to be the best version of myself? And I've been lucky enough to find yoga and meditation supports me to hold space for, for anybody that would like to try it and engage with it, but especially people that I know have had traumatic experiences within a military setting. And as a studio owner for years and, and a yoga teacher out in the world of other humans, anybody can come in and, and we can use certain techniques to soothe and settle the nervous system. Yeah, you, you mentioned such a sophisticated art like yoga and people may think that, you know, unexperienced people, even like myself, I'm not very familiar with yoga and you may see it as, you know, one size fits all. But when you really start getting to the nitty gritty and you see that it's a way for the mind to kind of go somewhere else. So if you're putting someone on a beach and they've had that, that poor experience, um, it just takes it to another level of what the meditation practice really is. So when we talk about trauma, you know, um, in your experience, what is PTSD? How would you define it? How's it manifested? Um, and does someone have to be in the military to experience these type of things? It's, uh, PTSD in the world that I work in, I try to drop the D, nobody wants a diagnosis. And there's such an interesting dance there. Um, you don't have to be in the military. You could be, have had a terrifying car accident. Or I always kind of liken it to people who maybe have never had something technically traumatic um, happen. It's almost like that moment when you you like slam on the brakes because you're about to like hit somebody. Somebody runs a red light and you're like, Arr! and all those little explosions you feel them all the way up your arms. Well, that's your sympathetic nervous system dumping um, cortisol, adrenaline, like, whoa! And, and how we regulate back down is tricky. And most of the time, the next time we get in the car, we have that like, oh, I don't know, is this, am I gonna have that experience again? Or I'm nervous. And a lot of people have that day to day, to day to day experience of waiting and like the hypervigilance that's uh, one of the cluster elements of PTS. I mean, PTSD was died, was um, coined back in the 70s. I think it was in DSM-4, one of the medical um, Bibles. I can't remember. Somebody's a pharmacist on here, aren't you? In the DSM-4. <laughs> we're, up to the, we're up to the DSM-5 now. We're in the five, yeah. But yeah, we're in the five. Like, <laughs> 70, 71. I wasn't alive, of course. Kidding. Um, back then, but they, when they diagnosed it, they sort of, they used to think that PTSD was a memory issue because of the flashbacks, because it was almost as if the, the sufferer stuck in that position 
and replayed and replayed and replayed and replayed. So there was never any forward movement from that. It, everything feels like they're constantly going backwards into the experience. So they're re-traumatizing themselves again and again. And I remember one of the first times I worked with someone who had been specifically diagnosed with PTSD, he was like, I just hate the damn D. Can't we just get rid of that? And then a few years later, I met um, a couple colleagues that I still am lucky enough to say that I get to work with. And they were talking more about the model of healing around post-traumatic growth. And that is taking all of the situation and, and within some type of contemplative practices, it doesn't have to be yoga, but yoga is a great one because all of the self-regulatory and nervous system balancing techniques that we have that sometimes we don't even realize we're doing, but we do, um, we take it and we give that, we, that becomes a launching spot or a launching platform to move forward and upward. And there's this stigma that I see so many times that I'm now seeing, especially since lockdown, that people who, I'm fine, usually, right? We all say, oh, I'm fine. We kind of blow off our stress. We just know oh, whatever, it's, it's I'm busy, it's I'm this, I'm that. Instead of stopping and saying, I need a breather, I need to regulate again, and how can I move forward with that? And I mean, PTSD over the years, we, I remember several years ago, unfortunately, a veteran was really, really stressed out and shot up a movie theater. Well, I started getting phone calls. Everybody that I knew and had worked with and students over the years were like, oh, do you know him? No, I'm not even in the same town as that person. And, and it just, there's this fear that people just want to attach to so that they make themselves feel better. And I think, especially one of the things that intrigued me about this, this podcast was the idea that men are told, and especially from the military, but men in general, suck it up, suck it up. You, you gotta be like this. And no, none of us are the same. We have the same struggles of the human condition, which, which is really these two things, heart and mind but really it's here. But what happens in military settings is there is a training experience that has to happen that almost takes us back into indigenous populations of the trial of life, the growth of becoming a man. It's boot camp makes you go in this way, you go in one way, you come out a different person on purpose so that you can manage whatever your experience may be out there. And what happens is that management is actually jacking up the, the sympathetic, the fight or flight nervous system. And then it's like, oh, we're done. You're good. And everyone's still clinging to the ceiling like an electric cat. And the regulatory ability to come back down to balance and even experience a parasympathetic arrest or digest side of the nervous system doesn't even get a chance. And these are muscles moving back and forth between being jacked up and then going, okay, talking yourself down or doing a breathing exercise to regulate. Technology gets in our way, overthinking gets in our way, so much stuff gets in our way that I feel that everybody in this culture has an issue with being able to regulate 
naturally. And I know that's like, I just went like 18,000 directions. I'm so sorry I do that all the time, but it, it's more focus, more practice. It, it, it's like, it's not just PTSD. It's a stress condition. And everybody has that, in my opinion. I mean, kids even have it nowadays. You did hit, you definitely hit a lot of points there, but they realistically, I mean, they all make sense. And PTS, um, how we've heard you describe it and how we've heard Nick describe it, it's, it's not just one thing. And that kind of goes back to men's health is some of these issues aren't happening in isolation and neither is a traumatic incident that's leading to PTS. And so, yeah, you hit a lot of points, but you had to. It's, that's part of explaining the process. I just say one quick thing to kind of go back and, and I always, this is one of my main things. One of the four scientists that, or psychologists that actually coined PTSD, seems Bessel van der Kolk, he's extraordinary. Um, when, they reala when he realized years later that it wasn't just a memory issue, it was a nervous system, the amygdala, the brain has rewired itself to manage, to cope ultimately. Um, his description of it was really, really beautiful. He says, PTSD, this was before we dropped the D, PTSD is a normal reaction. It's normal because it's an abnormal experience. It is not normal to be walking down the some country that you're not even from getting shot at. It's not. And that was a really, really powerful experience when I heard it firsthand from one of, when I first started working with the military, I was flying up to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in DC every four to six weeks. I was super, really, really lucky um, to get up there and to be able to do that. And I remember um, asking one of the guys I was working with, I said, so, you know, how did, like how, not how did it happen? I never would ask anybody that, but I was like, what's your, ex what was your experience over there? And he was like, oh, well, you know, we would flip a coin and figure out who was walking on what side of the road. And I said, oh, wow, that's interesting. I said, did you have a preference? He said, no. And he goes, and you know, we would kit up and then put our tourniquets on. And I was like, well, you put your tourniquet on over your clothing. Obviously you don't tighten it. And he said, ma'am, it wasn't about if I was gonna get blown up. It was about when I was gonna get blown up. So that was the first time in blazing bright light, I was like, oh my. So the train up to go over, leaving family, leaving friends, that's traumatic for some people in right there. And they haven't even left the country yet. And then they get in country or wherever theater might be and then we're asking, they are being asked, their nervous system is being asked, not, okay, when the incident happens, this is what's, what, how it might go down. It's constantly 24 seven for eight, nine, maybe 11, 12 months, it's on. And it just gets exhausted. And so what we see in someone with PTS is just a fried nervous system because that's all it's been done. That's all it's been able to do is function to keep moving and to keep going. And then all of a sudden when it's quote unquote safe, it doesn't know what safe feels like anymore. It doesn't know what settling back down feels like anymore. That's why something like yoga and meditation, which feels harmless, can be really, really potent for someone. I mean, just think of like what we do naturally, we kind of, right? Maybe not as dramatically, but 
when we take an exhale, the body naturally says, whew, I needed to settle down. And that's why like someone for like for Nick, I remember the first time he hated my guts, that first yoga class, but he was like, why did I sleep well that first night? Like, I don't know, you know, because his body was regulating already. So as you kind of mentioned before, like you've noticed that we're all about breaking stigmas. You've mentioned um, stigmas and you've mentioned how men and people in the military are taught to suck it up. And I think that's a really important foundation of a stigma being born is, Hey, suck it up. That's, you know, that's not your problem or that's not a serious issue or just kind of making light of things like that. So, um, you've clearly dedicated a lot to breaking stigma. So in your mind for our viewers, like what would you say is a stigma and, um, why is it so detrimental to mental health, men's health? I mean, even women's health, I mean, for that matter, but, um, just give us a little description of that. I think what I'm going to start is like humans and then we'll split them up. Um, again, we ha all have a nervous system and when we ignore or discount an emotion, the mind body connection turns that into, again, trying not to be dramatic about it, but almost turns it into a toxicity if we're not addressing it or if we're there's nothing more that there's nothing worse i think as a human we all we all have this natural i want to be heard i want to be seen right um a very dear mentor of mine talks about vault he's like we all want to be valued accepted understood loved and trusted everybody human that's it probably aliens do but we're not gonna go there but the fact is, is that men and women then are immediately by culture separated. And yes, body parts and hormones, and those are very different things. But we're constantly separating into male, female, black, white, whatever. And that is immediately saying to somebody, you're not, I'm not seeing you. I'm not hearing you. It's, it's, I think it's incredibly detrimental. I'm a mother of, he just turned 16 last week. And it's, it's, it's great responsibility to launch a good human into the world. What does that feel like for me? What is that? What do I see that as? Someone who understands and trusts themselves so that if an emotion comes up, he's not fireballing reactive, right? He's responsive take it to a yoga posture. You're standing on one leg on purpose, really. We're not flamingos, but we are from Florida. The, but the reality with that is that how many times do you stand, you're doing your yoga and you're standing on one leg and you're like, look at me and the wiggles kick in, right? Thankfully not the Australian kids band, but your foot's wiggling like crazy. What is that? You freak out. You're like, oh my God, I'm gonna fall over. I'm gonna knock my neighbor over. No, hang in there. That's your body, that's proprioception. Your brain is like, okay, this is kind of odd. All of the other muscles are engaging to figure it out, but that's normal. We, we immediately think that anything that is not easy is bad. I call, I fire a BS cluster on that one because that's how we 
expand the muscle of our humanity. That's how we become better. And so in that wobbly, wiggly, I'm gonna fall out of my one-legged posture, when you slow your exhale down, you're creating a down regulation in your nervous system so you think clearer, you're not panicky, you can kind of go, okay, I'm leaning a little bit, but I'm hanging in there, but I'm not freaking out. And that's one thing I feel is super important to humans in general is we've got this. Like, yeah, there's some heavy stuff in the world. Losing your buddy in combat, watching it, seeing, taking on that information, seeing a horrific car accident, losing somebody. Loss is a huge experience and it feel it, it becomes a physical pain when we ignore it. So when we ignore things, I always talk about the vault. We all have the vault, right? And we, it's like, it's like kind of like a hobbit door, right? And all of our stuff, like, oh, my mom was mean to me when I was 10 and I didn't get the puppy I wanted and that goes in there. And I didn't, you know, make the team or become a cheerleader or whatever, all of those things. And I don't need to downplay those things because certain people, those are crushing experiences to them. And we don't know why specifically until we really unpack it. But all the stuff that we don't want to manage or deal with goes in the vault. And I always make the joke like, you know, it's got a lock and then it's got some boards and you nail stuff over it. So we're always really strong. It's strong arming, keeping the door closed on the vault. But when that thing flies open, holy heck, it's called a midlife crisis. It's called, holy smokes, what, I'm losing my mind. I'm having a nervous breakdown. And really what it is, is it's we've worked so hard to not regulate or not um, in meditation, not welcome whatever it is. Like, wow, that's intense. I'm good. Because we haven't been taught to regulate. If we had emotions 101 in kindergarten, that would be, think about it, right? Like we don't hit, don't bite your buddy. You know, we, we teach that, which is good. We don't need people walking around biting each other. But the thing is, is that we don't, we're not taught to regulate ourselves in any way, shape or form. And honestly, I think that's why yoga has just exploded in cult, every culture, because we don't, we're not taught that. And I really think that that's a huge, huge piece. And especially for men. I mean, I really, my heart goes out to you guys a lot because there's so much pressure. You, everything has to be super strong. Some, there's beauty in both sides and there's beauty in the flexibility of being soft and nurturing. I know plenty of dads out there that are soft and nurturing and really open-hearted. But if you ask them, there's an armor that has been placed because that's not valued by our culture. I really wanted to cuss right there, but I say at that point, because as a woman, I wanna, I wanna engage with a human and not just a man, but also a woman. I, I have amazingly strong friends, female friends. I have amazingly strong male friends. I have amazingly strong friends that have this ability to be both because we we have both we have the yin and the yang we have you know the nervous system that can be strong and be soft and we don't teach that and i felt really really strongly for years about that because so many men get that gets jammed like stuffed 
And anything that gets stuffed, what happens? Well, I, think, I think you do a really excellent job of breaking down these traumatic situations and these past experiences to their constituent elements. Like, aside from just something in the memory and versus how the body responds to it, how the individual uh, uniquely stores it away and how they react to it. I think you do a phenomenal job uh, explaining those, those minor nuances and just, like I said, the, the constituent elements of everything that goes into it. And so I'm curious, you say you, um, you help out of the VA and you have the Exalted Warrior Foundation and your actual physical locations and helping people directly. The stigma between the machismo masculine lifestyle and coming into something like yoga, do you, do you see a lot of, especially when it comes to the military, do you get a lot of resistance from, from newcomers or even turnover? Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that? It's a great question. I had so much fun at Walter Reed when I first started there. So I started going up there in 2006 and I opened my studio in 1999. And you know, it was a, women, it was all moms and women and coming in. And then what was interesting though, was one of my first students showed up and he was came in the door. And this went on, like he filled out my paperwork and it was like his employer was USN, United States Navy. My dad had been a corpsman at the end of World War II and into Korea. So I was like, dad, dad, you know, this guy signed my paperwork. I mean, I literally, my studio could shove, I could shove 14 people in there when I first started. It was a teeny little space. And um, I said, my dad was like, well, what's his rank? I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what he does. He's a chief or something. Turned out he was a rear admiral, Navy SEAL, head of Homeland Security for SOCOM. He was a bit of a big deal. And so I completely like moused. I was like, oh. I'd been like, lock your leg. We're gonna do this. This is gonna be a strong class. And then 24 hours later, I was like, please, um, couldn't look at him. He was like, what do you know? I'm like, well, you're this kind of big shot. He goes, you're my teacher. Shut it, let's go. And off we went again, but for, when, really, when I started at Walter Reed, I realized I can't come in like Mary Moonbeam, blink, blink, in my feather earrings and have these guys look at me and be like, like, they're not going to take me seriously. So it was a very interesting dance to be like, well, what's important to these guys? They want to stay strong and they want to, and they want to sleep. So how in the dynamic of a yoga practice do we do that? And I had never worked with an amputee at that point. And so it was, it was major learning back and forth. But I used to say to guys, I literally got almost in trouble for running up and down the hallway going, you look strong. Come on, we're going to go do yoga. They were like, what? Do what? I mean, they all thought, I mean, we're making yogurt? Like, I don't know, because 99, like yoga was not a big word back then. Um, and so that kind of started that ball, that ball rolling. And then really quickly, it was like, gosh, I need a teacher up there. How do I continue to get students in? Because they were just like, the, what was interesting was the sports teams started earlier than everybody else. I think like Dan Marino, when he severed his Achilles tendon or popped his Achilles tendon, they would set up hot yoga. There was a, that was my first training was Bikram yoga. 
and they he was doing Bikram yoga to rehab his Achilles tendon, which is pretty intense rehab. Um, so physical therapists have been using yoga stretches, right? And so, but calling them stretching. And so how that sort of nuanced dance to be like, yeah, you can, you'll gain muscle, you'll, we'll wipe you out. But for my crew, really quickly became obvious that especially for traumatic injury, gotta be careful if there's a brain injury, but how can I create an environment where they feel secure and give them a workout without losing the power of the practice and lineage that I come from and still respecting what I know it's gonna, is gonna happen at the end. So it's kind of like big muscle loads. Everybody loves a big muscle load, even if there's a lot of drama behind it, right? Like plank. I mean, my guys could stay in plank for hours and probably like do that when they're on deployment because they're bored. How long have you been in plank? You know, and like hold plank till they're biting their molars off. But with that, all of the cues as a teacher, I can give them, how can you be super present with your breathing and not the drama that your brain is saying is happening, but there's a fine line because my guys are usually used to, and gals in the military are used to like gritting their teeth through everything to make it, to make it through. And we want more grace in yoga. We want more presence so that again, it's this regulatory thing. We can be simmering in the drama and the discomfort of a body part or an experience, but how do we create a space of, a, of not attaching to that and being wholly present with the breath, which is actually regulating the nervous system while we're doing the hard work. So we need the hard work to tire the, the physical body out because my military peeps are so used to being super strong and, and physically active that the only way that they can let thinking mind rest is when the body is physically exhausted. So it's, it was re it's really fun it, playing with that because I work with an active duty component too from the VA that are on acute PTS evaluation. So they're away from home, they're in a VA in the middle of Florida. You know, it's kind of a, a crappy scenario for them. So they need big, big muscle loads to tire their body out so their mind can go, all right, well, I got my workout out for the day, let's rest. And then the big piece in meditation and resting is how do we welcome the myriad of crazy stuff that moves through our mind? And that's a big, that's a really beautiful nuance. And that's where I use the I rest yoga nidra meditation. So do you feel um, like, let's say that someone who's watching this or encounters this podcast um, sees can wants to take the first step and maybe they are, they're feeling the burden of a stigma and they want to take the first step to breaking that or to maybe easing their mind about getting help. So if someone has PTS and people are telling them, Oh, it's no big deal. Like you're just kind of feeling bad today or something. And that's definitely, something that would be signatized, how would they take the first step to kind of releasing that and getting the help that they need? Good question. I think one thing to always remember in every situation, being human, my experience is never gonna be your experience. I'm going to view everything through the perspective of my own lens, which has my parents, not your parents, my 
education, not yours. And it's all of that. We, we try to pigeonhole people into certain boxes and it just never works. Um, the big thing is to know that there is support out there. Like I'm shocked at the amount of yoga in the world. I'm shocked at the amount of uh, veteran service organizations out there in the world. YouTube has so much yoga on it. I'm very careful that I think it's important for especially a veteran or service member or their family members to kind of find their comfort group within all of the options that are out there in yoga and meditation or any physical exercise because there's just certain dynamics within the military community that, for example, um, if I was like, oh, dude, you're safe. He doesn't know me. And what does safe mean to someone who's been shot at on a regular basis on, a regular basis on purpose, right? You know, like that put themselves in that situation or saying, hey, you're safe to someone who's homeless. I don't know what that feels like. And that to them could be an immediate shutdown. I'm not engaging with that person. They don't know my experience. They don't know anything about me. Um, I think a big piece is remembering that your brain has rewired itself for, from that experience, from that engaged, constant experience of whether you want to call it a trauma or a traumatic experience or however we label it. And labels are so hard. I try not to label it, but in reality we have to because we speak a language. Um, but knowing that there are people specifically uh, trained to support that. Um, uh, let's see, like I don't work specifically with people with multiple sclerosis, but I know enough to not put someone with multiple sclerosis in a hot room because the heat exacerbates their, the sensitivity of the myelin sheath and all of their experiences in their body. It's the same thing. Um, if you're dealing with something that is an emotional or a physical experience, find the right people. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with therapy. That is a huge experience. Um, I had a personal experience going and, and trying different therapies out, like EMDR and all of these kinds of things um, after a really, really challenging emotional experience in my life. And I remember being really shy about talking about it with anybody else. And I remember coming out of an appointment and a friend saw me and she was like, <sighs> she was like, I thought I was the only one. And it's such a fascinating thing and not to get too, too deep into sort of yogic philosophy, but our ego, which is, is somewhat healthy. We, we need it to be who we are and manage and maneuver in the world. But our ego also tells us, or, or let's language it a different way. The annoying roommate of our mind tells us, oh, you suck. You don't know what you're doing. You, you know, you're weird. You're this, you're that. And we buy it. Why do we buy it? You know, um, or kind of back to the male, female, you know, guys buy, oh, you've, the machismo thing. You gotta be a man. And women, oh, you have to be perfect and beautiful. Again, <laughs> F that. That's not actually correct. And 
so much of culture is keeping us in these definable lanes of who we're supposed to be. And nobody can really tell us that because no one's in our heart, no one's in our mind, no one's in our mind body experience. And it's really daunting. That first step is really scary mm -hmm. because it's the unknown. But we would never gotten to the moon if we didn't say we're going to try it or we wouldn't, we wouldn't do life. Um, and I just a little off topic, but sort of similar. One of the, um, I get to work at a camp with for wounded Marines and service members and it's a transition camp. And we had a gold star mother um, come speak with us and gold star means that her son was killed or daughter, but in this case, it was her son, Ryan was killed in combat. And so much of what a lot of us, but especially military service members are working with, especially if they've been in combat, is what we call moral injury. This, this struggle with either survivor's guilt or having done something that they morally may not have agreed with, but it was an order or to protect themselves and then that struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, if that's your situation, know that um, for her, for her son, the whole idea was how do you honor this person that's died or how do you honor the people that have, have passed for your own security or for your own country or experience? It's living our best lives. And we don't, it, we, we don't really talk about how do you live your best life? Well, in quarantine for me, that was buying plants. Now I know it sounds ridiculous, yeah. but it was comfort. Like, how do we create our own comfort without running off and starting to smoke crack? Like, what is that? And that's a huge, big brain gamut for anybody to figure out. Like, okay, if you're not feeling comfortable, you don't feel secure, what do you need to do? Well, maybe arming yourself to the teeth isn't quite where we're going because if you can't have all of your weapons, what is that gonna be? And that's where meditation really support people. So I'm a firm believer in, in breath work and meditation because they're natural self-regulators. So long, long, long answer to come back to try meditation, try breathing. There's a lot in the military setting about, about that now. Well, it sounds yeah. like, it sounds like most of your career, professional career has been dedicated to the specific category of veterans active military and people who just want to try yoga would you agree that the exalted warrior foundation that the value you provide versus a traditional yoga studio is that you yourself have had to adapt to become approachable for the the subset of veterans and people that respond better to that is that the value that the exalted warrior foundation provides very succinctly said, thank you. Instead of a 14 minute diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be concise. <laughs> yeah, good, good, well done, yeah. I know um, talking to Steven, he's kind of recently discovered some meditation, so I was really proud of him. Good job. Good was, baby steps. I feel so good. <laughs> I'm enjoying it though, yeah, it, it's, when I first did it, the first day my fiance was like, the hell's going on with you? I'm like, you have no idea. I just went down this this deep rabbit hole, but it's it's been phenomenal. I'm a little, you know, weaned off it. I need to do it again just to recalibrate, but 
I've, you know, it was uh, the meditation and like the hypnosis route. And I just found it really like another level of existence, not to sound cheesy or cliche, but yeah, it was, I'm looking for, I might do it after this interview, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) You could go to the website and listen to one. There we go. Exaltedwarrior.com right there. You got it. So they bought some of the tank tops as well. Is that tank top for Exalted Warrior? This is an old one, but we've got some great ones on the, on the site as well. And all of that uh, money that we get through donations and through sales of the shirts and things like that support all of the yoga that we do is for free for anybody that needs it. Fantastic. Check out the link down below everyone. Yeah, we always include all the links. You will include your social media, all that good stuff. So anybody needs to find you can find you easily. And if somebody's on the watching this and they're not in Tampa, we have I've trained hundreds of teachers and they're all over the world actually. I've That's got awesome. two from the Danish Army right now who just completed their training. Um, I do mentorship from you know via Zoom all over the country. So there's a lot of people who are really specializing in this and, and ultimately what it is, it doesn't necessarily need to be specialized for military, but just an awareness of how to create a, a safe container. Um, that's a big, big deal. Um, and, and it's an important thing because we know we all wanna feel comfortable. And one of my favorite things is watching guys and gals, military never even thought about going into a yoga studio, walk in and they're like, you know, it's kind of like, don't worry, you won't get infected. It's fine. But if you feel better at the end, woo, you know, my, you my time here is done. Yoga. <laughs> it's fascinating. I mean, people have such interesting um, imagery in their head about it. Well, I, and then I, one of my favorite things used to be, well, I'm, t- I can, I'm not flexible enough to go to yoga. That's why you go to yoga. <laughs> You know, like hello. <laughs> Yoga's for you know pretty much anybody who can breathe. I I, I that is the best I have, description. I've worked yeah. with people on ventilators, so they're not breathing themselves, but but just by putting your hand or I would put my hand on their chest, just so the warmth of the hand. I mean, we we're animals. We we sense sensation. We sense warmth. We sense feeling we feel that's the mind-body connection nothing except death takes that away so we're pretty good to go we're wired for it so yeah yeah i I can definitely uh kind of speak a little bit on my yoga experience i mean i played college baseball and just ended up with a ton of injuries and coached for a while and that believe it or not coaching throwing batting practice every day you know causes a lot i mean i was destined for shoulder surgery and through yoga. I mean, I, I don't need it anymore. I have range of motion. I have grip strength, like everything that I thought I lost and would have to get repaired is as back. I feel great. And, and it really is. I mean, just to go back to what you're saying, it's like when I'm feeling, I mean, we're in pharmacy school. It's, it's nothing like being in the military, but we have moments that it's like, Oh man, how am I going to live till tomorrow? Like I haven't had sleep kind of thing. And um, that's tough for us. And yoga has really helped. And like, after class, I'm like, I don't, I'm not doing anything today until I go get some yoga after class. And it really just brings me back down to a space where I can, okay, it's time to get back and study or 
keep doing the things that I have to do. Patrick, I, I kind of want to bring up uh, your interview with our current internship. So Patrick and I work in the same internship, <laughs> and I vouch for this guy to come on in. And my supervisor, who's like the coolest person ever, is talking to him. And she's like, can you work this day? And Patrick goes, I don't know. That's my yoga day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if you don't, if you want me centered in, in here, you let me do yoga Monday at 9 a.m. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the thing. You actually will be more productive. You are, you are preparing yourselves, all of them, for, I mean, we just take a look at epigenetics and things like that. Like we are we are setting ourselves up, especially with meditation, to be superhuman and last longer in a more viable way, vital way, for longer than the average bear. You know, and I've, I've worked it up at USF multiple times with the nursing students, and God love you guys, you guys, like, I sit them down, okay, we're gonna do yoga nidra, they're already asleep. Like, they don't need me, but they're already asleep. But what's so fascinating is in the IRS practice, I could be yapping on for 49, 51 minutes. And the minute I say, and the practice of yoga nidra is now complete, blink, everybody's awake. Cause that little piece of the brain's awake and, doing and what is, whatever. What is the, what is IRS? What is that? So IRS, I found out about IRS when I first started at Walter Reed, they were doing a study um, there. It's a form of yoga nidra, which is older than most of the forms of our meditation. Um, practices older than asana practice, but it's it's a systematic kind of reset for your nervous system. So I rest took traditional forms of yoga nidra, added a little bit of Buddhism, added some psychology in there, and it's a small I, big R rest. They're like iPad, iPhone, I rest. It's really great uh, the way he came up with it, but it means integrative restoration, and so it's. Um, within the yogic lineage or the eight limbs, it's a pratyahara practice, which is a sense withdrawal. So being very externalized, studying, staying up late, being engaged with your life as, as pharmacy students, this is a turn it inward and just notice. And what's really beautiful, I, use it, I used it in the VA from the minute I did my first training. So that was in 2010. Um, and it's all over the VA now, which is fantastic. It's, you can do a 15 minute, a 45 minute, an hour long, and any, doing an hour of Nidra is like sleeping for four hours. So for a nervous system that is constantly hypervigilant, scanning, protecting, scanning, protecting, giving it a chance to feel secure enough to turn inward, you start to really watch the patterns of how you're thinking. And, and it's really beautiful to be able to see somebody come out and they ask a question like, why did I, like, so for example, I had a guy say, I felt myself jumping back into the image that haunts me. He's like, but it was weird because I witnessed, it was like, I witnessed it from the 30,000 foot view. He's like, there I was resting. I, I felt myself moving back into that thought but because it, I, I my, my ego was spacious, there was space between them, I saw that that was just a thought and it was a memory. It wasn't me in the present moment awareness. And I was like, bingo, that's it. And it's a beautiful thing. And one of the big tenets that 
really, really helped me in, in my life experiences in, in it, you're laying on the ground or we sometimes guys sit in chairs or in their wheelchairs if they're not maneuvering or not um, able-bodied in the moment. And one of the beautiful things that we say all the time in practice is there's no way to do this wrong. I mean, think about it. You could drive, you could get in a car accident on the way to yoga, God forbid, but there's so many things we could screw up, right? In, in life. And isn't that a constant fear that every human has? I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. But in that, just saying that sometimes grown men just weep at the idea of it because everything else they've been taught or told is like, you better be great or someone could die, especially in a military setting, or you could die. That's, that's heavy on a day-to-day, second-by-second basis. So getting this time to just... And then the other piece that's beautiful is welcoming. The idea of welcoming whatever comes, thought, an emotion, an idea, an image, we've all got them. It's what we label them as and how we engage with them. Because they're all just gonna keep flying across the movie screen, right? And the movie screen of the mind, oh, there goes the thought. And occasionally in meditation, it's like, wow, that thought, that's not even my thought. That's my parents' thought. That's my conditioning because my parents thought, thought, that was, thought that was right, but that's not my experience with it. And it's a really beautiful way to kind of process your own stuff. Not to realize those impressions on you. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned that gentleman that had that 30,000 foot experience. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, someone that may have their their first yoga experience, you know, whether that's their first time doing it or the first time they actually have that experience, do you find that by tr- triggering that, that emotion, that experience, does that, does that have them coming back? Or are some people scared of what just got brought to light? And, you know, do those emotions provide, uh, you know, what do those emotions provide to the human experience? That's a great question. So a lot of the time it will freak somebody out initially being that one thing that guys will say a lot is it freaked me out that my body was so still because how many of us, me, especially I can't meditate. This thing's too busy. Well, when did I just relinquish total control to my brain? Right. And so the feeling of being still or for a lot of my guys and gals feeling comfortable, like we take for granted with your shoulder injuries and things like that. You just kind of assumed like, this is, this, is, uh, this is my path. And then all of a sudden something said, no, this isn't your path. You're diverted, you're going in a different direction now. You're healing your body. So seeing that can be incredibly overwhelming, but also incredibly empowering. And I, I aim for the empowering side, but it's really natural. It, and I'll say a lot of times like, laying over a bolster, doing a backbend, because we know from working on our computers or being sad or feeling heavy, like we all do this. And so if you lay somebody that's kind of pigeon-chested over a bolster, that's uncomfortable. But then the ability for the heart, without getting too woo-woo, and I'm always really careful about getting too woo-woo, but hell, woo-woo's out there. Um, and I'm pretty woo-woo. All my woo-woo stuff's kind of hidden right now. So although there's a crystal right there. Um, I don't put crystals in yoga rooms with military. So just the, that's the woo-woo right there. Too, oh, that is a, they'd be like, she is, they would have, I'd lose them in an instant. Um, 
So, but the idea is putting somebody on a bolster and letting their chest open, there's a natural emotion rises and it's, and it lives here and it can live in other parts of the body and the hips and tightness. So having an experience of your own emotion or your own ability to feel. So if we look at it from feeling, we call it in, in IRS, we talk a lot about the felt sense or the feeling experience in your body. Every emotion, every thought, everything has an imprint as a felt experience in the body. And we can ignore the body just as much as we ignore the mind. So I've done a lot of work with people with tremendous amounts of grief. And if you ask somebody in grief or in a very emotionally distressed state, where do you feel your center? Most of us would kind of assume maybe here or maybe here. And most of those people will be, if they've disassociated, they're out here. And so something as really sweet and gentle and there's nothing to do so if there's nothing to do and you can't do anything wrong, what do you do? You just kind of notice what happens. And it's guided meditation. So every time it's normal that a thought comes up, it's normal that an image comes up, it's normal that an emotion will rise. It's how we engage with it is where we get to take control again. So I always will language it like, welcome whatever you notice. And since there's no wrong way to do this, there's really no wrong way to be you. I remember saying that one of the first times, I was really nervous about saying that, but I had felt it in my own experience. So which gave me the kind of, I got this, you know, I can, I can say this and try it and be a little, be a little uh, daring, shall we say. And I remember saying, you know, there's no wrong way to be you. And this guy in the back of the room, he didn't, there was no noise, he was like, so at the end of class, everybody came out and I was like, any questions? He's like, what was that BS all about? And I said, I don't know, you're the one that smirked. And he said, well, yeah. And I said, what, what's wrong with, why is it, why do you think that you have to be in a mindset where you're gonna screw something up or you know, you're doing it wrong? Oh, everybody tells me I'm doing it wrong. I'm, why, why do you think I'm in this building right now? We were in the VA. And I said, you're just learning a new way now. And he was like, oh. And, and it diffuses the intensity of the situation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's um, fixed. And that's a tough word, saying you're fixed. And that's another phrasing that we use. We're not here to, we're not gonna fix or change anything. It's too finite. It, yeah. And if you're fixed, if something needs to be fixed, it means you're broken in the first place. This isn't, there's nothing broken unless you break a bone. I think that statement that, that your student made of like smirking and just saying, you know, what the hell is this BS um, is kind of so men's health, it's, it's sickening or like maybe the state of men's health right now. And that's, you know, what we're here to change, really. It's scary. As a human, I want that. you guys to be healthy. Yeah, like, that's what we want. We want we want everyone to be healthy, but we're about, you know, men's health. And right. um, it's just, it's so important to be able to say that. Like, there's nothing wrong with you being yourself. Right. And all of your strengths and all of your faults and all of that is so important to 
making you, you. Right. And, and I think that really just kind of is lost with men in general. Um, and kind of to build on that, I know you've mentioned emotion quite a bit. I know you talked a little bit about your son when he feels an emotional impulse, how to react. And um, I know you're dealing with a lot of military, uh, ex-military or, or veterans. And what happens to the body? We kind of hit it a little bit before, but or what happens to the body and mind when these emotions just go out of control? Um, and is, is good emotion, is there a difference in like good emotion or bad emotion as far as like, if you have too much of it, can you have too much of something? Um, That's an interesting question. I think if we equate emotion with what we've also been talking about, which is regulation, too much of anything is a bad thing. I found this amazing vegan chocolate mousse recipe. So good. Oh my God. But we know what can happen if we're like shoveling. It's so good with the dates and oh God, it's amazing. But you know, I'm going to turn into a giant pimple at that point. You know, like it's like regulation and uh, mod what is it? Moderation. It's always a good thing. Not fun necessarily, but moderation is a good thing. But that's one of the interesting things in, in something in a uh, regulatory or a dysregulated state where one or the other and we kind of and it's this constant yo-yo and that is exhausting so anything i think ultimately with yoga and meditation it's this we're trying to create a sense of peace peace can be taken so many different ways but if we look at it with, when I language it in a military setting, we want comfort in the body and we want ease in the mind. We keep it relatively simple on the spectrum of either up or down, but we have to be able to feel. And I think number one, most important baseline of that is we have to let ourselves feel. And so much of, um, the stigma is you're a man. You're not supposed to feel it. Well, that's bullshit. Then why do you have tear ducts? Why do you have a heart? Like, you know, I'm not buying that piece. So everything that is felt is an imprint into the physical body, but it's also filed in the left side. Well, we're on Zoom, so left side of the brain in the filing cabinet of the left side of our brain. Our right, our right side is um, our feeling center, our ability to be at one with ourselves and one in it's our union station, if we want to call it that way. And we all of us have both sides. So by not dealing with an emotion or not learning a way to regulate, we're not living up to the fullest potential of who we are individually and as a society. And I feel like men get put, I feel, at a disadvantage because of this machismo BS. And yeah, like if we were still hunter-gatherers and, you know, riding leopards around for whatever, you know, like, and we're fighting with leopards, yeah, I would want you guys out there. I don't want to chase a leopard. I'm too slow. 
I'm short. I mean, there's not enough meat on my bones to make me like, to make a leopard want to eat me, but you guys can go kill it. And I'll do the cooking when you get home. Like there's certain things that we have and we will always have. And those are the things, but the things that we can nuance is this prefrontal cortex. Why do we have that thing? It's to expand our abilities and to nuance living. And, and I feel really it's important that, that we do that. And emotions are, 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 are the sweetness of life. They're the nectar that reminds us that, oh yeah, this is, this is, it's potent being alive. It's, it's a really big gift. And if we're not able to nuance with it, we're missing a lot, but it's there. It's always, always there. There, it's just veiled on a lot of us. There's a lot of veils and yoga is so beautiful. It, maybe we'll go for an onion instead of veils, a little more masculine. So we're all, we all have the onion skins and we're peeling off those layers every single day. And the one thing that's fascinating that I'm seeing in children and younger and young people is that they think that they do it once and it's done. We will work for the rest of our lives in staying nuanced and staying open and fresh eyed and will work forever to be peaceful until we're not, so until we're not alive. Have you, when you talk about these emotions and the different layers behind them, have you noticed any uh, tools, any ways that an everyday person can better understand these emotions and how they can you know, work them to benefit themselves? I think using breathing techniques is hands down, everybody's got it. If you're listening and you're alive, you've got one of the best tools ever because the body naturally regulates itself. And we're by harnessing your own breathing, you are creating a nervous system balance. It's absolutely hands down the number one thing. My son played baseball for a long time. So he developed the thing of putting his glove when he was pitching, he would put his glove over his bridge of his nose so he could breathe without everybody noticing. Poor guy, I was the mom that was like, don't forget to breathe. And he would just go, <laughs> you know, like 10 years old, dying a thousand deaths on the pitching mound. And he would be like, oh, stop it. You're wrecking enough up there. Exactly. <laughs> like, you gotta breathe through, breathe through mom yelling him, yelling him to breathe and breathe through the pitch he's about to deliver. Exactly. And you know, that's going to come up in therapy in a couple of years, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> with all that breathing, he's still, He's, I mean, he's still a good breather, actually. He, he will harness that sometimes. I'll be like, what happened? He's playing football now. What happened? He's like, I forgot to breathe. And I think it's just one of those pieces. Um, stoplight, hands down, a stoplight is the best place to just notice your breath. Always extend the exhale a little longer than the inhale because it drops you into your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're constantly like, I mean, don't sit there with a timer and like miss half your life watching how long you're breathing for, but just extending your exhale, absolutely hands down one of the most important things ever figured out by modern science. Except maybe the microwave, I don't know. <laughs> That's good, I'll have to try that. It's a good one, especially because we get reactive in the world and especially in 
in partnerships and relationships and humanity like and we're seeing enough of that on tv right now people just expanding and exploding in reactivity mm-hmm. if we can create a wee bit of a pause and then respond response is much softer and much more thought through than reaction but reaction is important too because it'll get you out of harm's way but we just have to know when to when to do which one steven i've noticed like for me i like the when you breathe in four seconds in so one two three four and then six out like the four four in six out is is my sweet spot so if you uh that's the key huh give it a shot all right it is a total, total game changer truly okay I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I have to give it a shot. I mean, I, being in lockdown, I don't get in the car much anymore these days. <laughs> nice. If I'm breathing, there's no excuse is what it sounds like. Um, but it sounds like one of those exercises just kind of increase resilience and working through your emotions. And I'd like to hear your, your take on being an expert, especially dealing with such a such a specific group of individuals like the veterans and having to deal with that extra, that extra layer of resilience and barriers that they themselves may have to come through or, you know, overcome. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to have such resilience and, you know, how can we tie that back into breaking stigmas and mental barriers that, you know, may restrain us? I think that we've been taught as a culture that there are certain ways to decompress. And I'm not slamming any form of wine or beer or whiskey. My crew generally tends to drink whiskey. And that is an acceptable form, acceptable form of downregulating. However, the liver gets trashed, um, prefrontal cortex starts to go offline, making bad decisions. Um, it's dangerous if you get behind the wheel of a car. So there's all of these things, but it's an accepted version of resilience. And ultimately, we're teaching ourselves in a yoga class, we're putting ourselves in awkward positions, literally, <laughs> and then being like, be okay there. Right, and what happens? Your your body's physical body's like, oh, this is intense. Blah blah blah. You forget to breathe. Then all of a sudden, you remember to breathe because you're about to pass out. You don't want to fall over and knock your neighbor down. So then you're breathing, and you're like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can do this. I can be there. What have you done? You've just widened the window of your own tolerance, and that is getting stronger in a really valuable way. It's not necessarily, it's, we, it's a muscle, so we have to keep training it. But that is, we want to be able to widen that window so when the real stuff hits the fan, we're there. We're not in, uh, our nervous system doesn't go and freezes us, or it doesn't say run. It, 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 it is able to have that, you want your reaction to be pause, understand, go. And by creating that broader window of tolerance with whatever way you do that, some people it's CrossFit, some people it's yoga, some people it's both, or I don't know, 
walking on a tight rope across the Grand Canyon, whatever, you know, slack lining in dangerous places with sharks swimming underneath you. I'll pass on that one myself, but that it, it, it creates the sense of resiliency and resiliency isn't important in the moment. It's important in the moment because we are all going to have experiences that call on our body and our mind, mostly our mind, to be able to be cool under pressure. It's, God forbid, it's the house fire and your family's inside. You don't need to be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You need to be like, where is everybody? Here's a kid, here's a dog, here's grandma, and out the door. And we won't have, we don't have that until we train for that. And that's the fascinating thing in the military setting. And I think kind of keeps me or intrigued me initially. It's like, oh my God, this is an amazing subset of humanity that is trained to run into danger, not run away from it, right? They've retrained their nervous system to barrel into fire, barrel into danger on purpose so that I don't have to which makes me very grateful that they're there, but seeing over time what happens to the nervous system of that human that did that for me or for the country or however you wanna look at it, that's intense because that person is struggling to fall asleep. When they do fall asleep, they're not getting rested because they're churning all of their experiences. They're struggling even communicating with someone they love or their own child or their family at large. There's so many pieces and they have this big window of tolerance for one piece of life, not the full bandwidth of life. And in a way we're incredibly blessed, the three of us to be able to go, I'm going to go to yoga today and go out and do that and not be like, okay, I have to, go protect a country that, that needs me or, you know, go protect my buddy who needs me. Like it's, we look at it first responders too. Like they run on purpose into danger. Firemen, police, I work with first responders a lot as well. And they just, their, their nervous system gets regulated to be there. But if you say to them, what's, where is it easier for you to be? They say work, not home. And that's hard for them. That's hard for their families. That's hard for their heart in the grand scheme. And we all want to be the greatest people that we can be for the people we love and for ourselves. And we can't do that until everything gets regulated. So, yeah. um, that was kind of, sorry, Patrick. That was exactly yeah. how Patrick first explained meditation and yoga to me was, can you, breathe your way through the the upcoming situations can you handle yourself in the future and that's what it's for so to hear you say it it almost sounds like there's it's like the gospel there like that conspiracy theory of yoga (laughs) it was almost verbatim how he described it to me yeah it's so I mean, I had multiple experiences over the years in my own practice, but literally the most powerful one still, 23 years into my own practice, was being able to be present with exactly 
the experience as it was as my mom died. Like just being there and being with my breath and just realizing she was going and this was, I mean, she was old, thankfully, and had had a really dynamic life. But the daughter in me and the, the just, she was a wonderful woman, of course, but like that, I wanted her to stay for my own benefits. But the reality was that, that just wasn't the case. And so holding, I literally felt like I was holding this space for her to have the experience that she needed to have because I wasn't the one dying, she was. And so how do we do that when you're literally feeling your heartbreak, but at the same time, you know, the other side is just the ultimate freedom. And that was, I still go back to that being the most beautiful thing. My son's like, hello, me being born. I'm like, yeah, it was good, but that was a little more important, you know, a little more potent, but you know, that's, and that's where we really want it. Like, I don't care that I don't know all the great pop songs or things like that, but if I can hold the space for the people I love to be, to know that they're loved and held and supported however they need in the world, and I'm blessed that I get to do that for other people that are struggling, fuck yeah. I said it. (laughs) I was doing so good. (laughs) Sorry about that. We appreciate it though. We, um, that was a good one. Yeah, for sure. That was warranted. Um, so I, I really liked what you were saying just about what you were doing, like working with military members, because they're so important to our society. And, you know, like you said, we have the opportunity to go to yoga and like, we have the opportunity to go to pharmacy school without having to do that job. And I feel like what you're doing is so amazing because it's such an underserved population. And like what Steven and I are attempting to do with men's health is we, we saw that this was so underserved and so needed just to like break some stigmas and put some legitimate uh, researched information out there to kind of help people understand that it's not just you. Yes these uh, men's biological issues are real and we're not going to avoid it. We're going to put it out there so that people can see it. And that was, it was, that was really powerful for me because, and we know that even then military members underserved and they come back and it's just like, okay, well, you're out now. And um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, Oh, you're back in society now. Like just go get a job and go do stuff. And it's just not that easy. Mm-mm. It's not because even for, it's harder for non-officers. It's harder for people that don't have these transitional moments within their career in the military. And they, like the VA is doing, a, it is really doing a great job. There are a lot of stories where it's not. And that's just like life. There are certain things that are going to go well. There are certain things that aren't going to go well. So having an element of resiliency to be able to maneuver through and, and take care of yourself. I mean, think about when you're not feeling well, like when, you're, when you've got the flu, and I know that's kind of cautious to say like nowadays, but if you're really, really, really sick and just on the couch, like not moving, everything's rotten, 
think about then having you like go into a hospital setting and explain your whole story to somebody that's like like not engaged with you because you're not feeling i mean like there's so many um intense barriers i think for anybody but specifically military add on the men thing to seeking support because if, if you're not feeling right or comfortable in the moment nobody wants to do anything but then if you have to like then have another barrier to get through to get to see somebody or to talk to somebody and and it just continues and continues and continues it's really really hard um so hopefully you know our talk today will point some people towards some breath work and some meditation and get some good sleep because a great sleep kind of like the British would say, like a great cup of tea, you know? I really, I really hope so too. And, you know, again, we're, we thank military members for their service because it's so important. And um, we really enjoy interviewing people like you and Nick because it gives that opportunity um, for maybe someone who really does need the help, who doesn't want to talk about it. They can sit in their living room, watch this uh, podcast or YouTube show have a beer, whatever, and be like, wow, th these people are talking about this and I can go find some help. So Steven, you have anything? Yeah, you know, we just wanna say that we, we appreciate that you can respect the, the yin and the yang of it, you know, while focusing on the good, while understanding and respecting the, you know, the darker experiences that people may have had so I think that is the value of the Exalted Warrior Foundation that that's, that's what you bring. You understand where these men and women have come from versus traditional yoga studios and how you, how you talk to them, how you, you know, appreciate their background and their understanding. And we're so blessed to have you here in Tampa, Florida. Everyone, this was Annie Okerlin of Exalted Warrior Foundation. You can, spot, you can find her links below, exaltedwarrior.com, and her Instagram page is Exalted Warrior Foundation. It was an absolute honor to have you on here. We appreciate the valuable, great work you're doing for the men and women, active and veterans. And guys, give the video a like, comment, agree, disagree. What does men's health mean to you? Subscribe to the channel. And definitely stay uh, up to date with videos like this. And we just appreciate having you on, Annie. Thank you. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. And great, great success on your paths of yoga and meditation. Thank right. you. We'll have to do it again. And um, I will put a timestamp on it. Have a good 4th of July. Thank you. You too. Be safe out there. Remember right. your neighbors. Fireworks freak people out sometimes. Yeah, so I have a nice. dog. I have a dog. He doesn't like it. So we're not fireworking. <laughs> there you go. Put a little earmuffs on him. Yeah. He'll Thanks just come both. cuddle up next to me. I'm going to be doing a lot of cuddling with him tomorrow. Oh, that's a good thing. Everybody yeah. needs good cuddles. Thank you guys. Good luck with the rest of your, your uh, pharmacy school. Thank that's you so no much. Joke. No yeah. joke at all. <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. so much.